0: Good morning. I am Becky Josperger. I always say my last name because I'm really proud of it. I worked really hard <laughs> to get that one. Anyway, um, I'm part of the teaching team here, um, a newer member of the teaching team, a newer member of this church uh, since about January. And I just have to say I'm so proud to be part of a church that has so many members with such incredible legacies and with leaders who are um, willing to remind us what it's like to love very deeply and that it's safe to mourn and that even in mourning we can look to the Father. So that's about all I will say about that today, um, but I'm, I'm just honored to work alongside you guys. Like you've heard from Tim, this is kind of a more difficult week for our church. Um, And even though I've only been part of the church family a little while, I can feel the grief with everyone. Um, That sudden loss of someone who was so influential and loved us and the church. And more than that, the Lord so deeply. And so when I heard all this, it was the day before I was sitting down to put all my finishing touches. I'd been working on this for weeks because I'm still new to the preaching thing and it scares me to death, so I'm always really prepared. <laughs> uh, but I was going to put my finishing touches on things and I thought, um, gosh, I don't even know if it's appropriate to continue the topic we agreed on. You know, I'm going to talk about Proverbs because we've been in the book of Proverbs and what's this going to look like? And as I opened um, my... Rather exhaustive notes. (laughs) Written right across the top of the page were these words, and it was the verse we had already picked for the week The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it, and they are safe. And let's just say I didn't prepare anymore for just a little while because I just sat there in awe of how precious those words were. The theme that we've been preparing over the last few weeks is that of security. And this image is one of security. Now, I probably should play it cooler than this, but I'm gonna let you know that Proverbs is hard for me to teach on because I look at everything really black and white. Like this is good and this is bad. My students who are in my classrooms make fun of me all the time because when I learn Hebrew vocabulary, I don't really learn what the vocabulary word says. I just know there are a whole bunch of bad words violence, destruction, sin, and a whole bunch of good words. Love, hope, faith, whatever. And so when we're like learning vocabulary or reading something in class, I'll be like, oh, (laughs) "Oh, it's a good word. Oh, it's a bad word. There's nothing neutral in my world. It's just not my personality. So Proverbs can't be read that way it needs to be read with more nuance it sounds very simple and straightforward but it requires a lot of nuance so the way i have dealt with that is to kind of write out carefully what i'm going to say because otherwise i won't express it very well so we'll see i'm not used to doing that but i may look down from time to time so that i don't make everything either good or bad um we talked about this verse this is kind of our central verse and i'm going to leave it up on the screen the whole time Uh, just considering the day. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I'm going to talk about this verse for just a second, right now. But I'm only going to be putting words to things that you already know. I may have academic terms for them, but you kind of already figured this out. So there's nothing super enlightening here. Um, I'm just going to state it for us. What the author is doing here is using what we call a metaphor, Now, most of us kind of already know what a metaphor is, but some of us don't, and that's fine. A metaphor is when you take two objects that are unlike in nearly every way and equate them so that the differences are obvious. I'll give you my favorite example God is our rock. He's not lumpy, he's not gray, he's not found in a pit. He's not a boulder or a pebble. I mean, we we get this. God is our rock. It means he's steady, he's true, you can stand on it, he's firm. And so the fact that the two items are so distinct allows us to quickly focus on those things that are alike, and then we can rest in that. So he says, the name of the Lord, first off, name is another figure of speech here, the name of the Lord. Simply put, name in the Old Testament often refers to your reputation, the same way it does in our culture. You know, I'm, uh, I'm really proud of Maya Josperger. She's the one that was standing right there making all that beautiful noise. Gorgeous. I'm really proud of her, but I'm not just proud of her because she sings. I'm proud of her because wherever she goes, if someone meets me afterward, they like me better. Because <laughs> I'm her mom and somehow it worked. <laughs> Yeah, and when I mentioned my name at the beginning, Becky Jossberger, you know, I, I have a PhD, I have titles, I have this kind of stuff. I didn't work nearly as hard for all of those as I do at the Jossberger thing, the Misses part, and I'm really proud of that. So our name kind of is a stand-in. You could think the reputation of the Lord, or you can just think God. It's just A part of him that's standing in for all of him. So you could say the Lord is a strong tower. And it would mean the exact same thing. That's what's being said there. But is God really a tower? Put the two images next to each other in your mind. And then nod at me. Yes. Yes. Well, your view of God is pretty funny looking, Matt. (laughs) Because he's nodding yes. No, God's not a tower. Okay. Are you with me? Okay. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. What about tower, usually made of some kind of concrete substance, usually overlooking the area that it wants to protect? Sometimes, I was just in Europe, so I have all these pictures of these kinds of towers, these castles, these towers, these turrets. What about that is like God? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. Like I said, none of this is rocket science. It's safety. It's a place that you feel more secure because it exists. So and this is a beautiful thing. I mean, there are songs, we sing this, and it sounds so fluffy and beautiful, but it also applies when it's not fluffy and beautiful. The righteous run to it when they are safe. First off, who's the one that can find security in this tower? The ones that are residents of the kingdom? The righteous ones, they're the ones. And why would you run to the tower? Because you feel threatened or attacked. You can live there peacefully because you know there is protection, but when you need the protection, you can go find it. So that's the the idea in this verse. And like I said, it's pretty simple. We all know that. But the author continues in the next verse And he says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. So what the author's doing here, one of the things he does all the way throughout the book is he talks about the theme of security by comparing it and contrasting it to wealth. And so we see this all over the place. Proverbs talks about money everywhere. My 21st century Western worldview doesn't do as well with the comparison as it does with the metaphor of Strong Tower. I can see that really well, but here's what my brain naturally does. Either God is something spiritual and wonderful and great, and wealth is something tangible and worldly and earthly and mundane, and they don't have any connection to me. So how are these things even related? I'm lost. Or, oh, I get it, God is good, money is bad. And that's about what I take away from it, and then I move on to the next verse. What I have learned as I read the scriptures is that I need to give the author much more credit than that. It's not that we're necessarily coming from different worldviews. It's that the author knows that security in the Lord is something we have trouble picturing. We can believe in it, But it's hard to, like, reach out and grab it. Or you all could go on and on. But we know it's tough, right? And so he takes something that is natural to us, something that we can understand, and he compares it and he draws this illustration for us. Not because wealth is bad, but he draws the illustration based both on what wealth is and what wealth isn't. Wealth is concrete. <laughs> Some of us it doesn't seem as concrete. I was a seminary student for a long time. I know what it's like for wealth to be hypothetical. It's sort of beyond my reach. But it's it's concrete, it's measurable. And it's also comforting. It's a common pursuit. And see, I would sometimes read these things and think, oh no, I'm not supposed to be wealthy, this is bad. And the author, I'm missing the point of the author, he's saying, wait, there is a security available to you that you don't quite know to pursue. So I'm going to compare it to something that is a natural pursuit for very genuinely good reasons. It can get out of hand, but we'll deal with that later. And he says, pursue this security. It's a comfort. It's, concre- it's, it's as, as real as something that is concrete to you. So those are the positive images, the reason he's putting wealth and the name of the Lord as comparative items. And yet, the metaphor is really, really cool, this illustration of wealth, because not only does it show you comparisons based on what money is, it invites you to consider what money isn't. Money isn't stable. It can be lost. Anyone in here ever? I'm, I could use the stock market as an example, but let's be honest, I didn't feel that lick. <laughs> stock market crashing did not hurt my husband's and my finances. It probably hurt some people, but I felt much more sting, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you realize, you know, you dropped a 20. <gasps> it's gone. We know how fickle it is. It can also be impotent. There are times you face things and all the money in the world's not gonna change a thing. It just, it can be very helpful, but it can be completely powerless. And it's relatively small. I mean, I could consider myself very wealthy right now. (laughs) I didn't plan on on Maya, so I forgot to ask her permission, but um, Maya, wherever you are, I'm going to share something. Yeah, over there. (laughs) I remember one day we were sitting in our house that we had just recently purchased and this house came with a hot tub. Like there's a year that we had two children and we cleared, no cleared, made $7,000 to report on our tax returns and I'm sitting here in this hot tub with my kids. And as the bubbles are going, they're talking to each other about, Oh, it's so tough to be poor. All our friends have it. I'm like, are you serious, child? But it's, it's relative to, it's just small. And wealth is also dependent a little bit on us. We have to earn it, we have to make it. And that just adds to its fickleness. And again, the author is reminding you to look at wealth and those aspects of wealth and contrast it to what the security, what the name of the Lord is. It's not Fickle at all. It is incredibly potent. God is, there is nothing he doesn't have the power to address. Quick plug for the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes he doesn't address the things the way we want him to. Thinking of things Tim said just a minute ago. I'm going to be wrestling with God about the too soon for a while. Yeah, there's a whole book about that called Ecclesiastes. And it's when it doesn't feel like he acted strong enough right now. And that's really important. But first you have to know that the reason you're angry with him for being that way is because he could have done something. That's where Proverbs starts. God is absolutely powerful. He's stable. You can't drop God in the grocery store and not notice and walk on out and lose your 20. He's reliable, and he's steadfast, and that steadfastness has nothing to do with us. It has to do with who he is and what he does. Now, this comparison between the security that's found in the Lord as opposed to the security found in wealth causes us to shift our goals, not necessarily to change them, just adjust them slightly. We are to concretely pursue God the way that we can concretely pursue wealth get to know him whatever that looks like walk in relationship with him and it also reminds us to consider consider the faithfulness the reliability the power of something that makes all the money in the world seem incredibly trite if you ever want to read like the the account books of the man who may have been the richest we could ever fathom. I think it's like for Second Samuel or its kings. It's in the beginning. It's like chapter 9, and it tells all that Solomon had. And they weighed gold, measured gold by the ton. And when they, literally, they didn't even measure bronze. There was so much of it. They couldn't do anything. And when they would bring ships in, to, uh, to give gifts to the king, like Queen of Sheba, all that kind of stuff when she comes to visit. They measure it by boatloads and tons of gold that he brings as a gift. Because, so all the wealth in the world, and, and, and meanwhile, you've got God writing about this, like, oh yeah, and then they had a couple boats full of gold, and then compared to God, it's nothing. And we're to, this verse reminds us to remember that. Understanding this focus on security helps us understand other passages where Proverbs talks about money. And I just went through and picked two examples where Proverbs talks about actions that we are willing to, to engage in because of how we view our security or how we view wealth. One of them is positive, one of them is negative. So here's the themes I came up with. The first one I'm going to label, it sounds positive. See, everything to me, good, bad. See that? This is my brain working. This is why it's written down. Not everything in life is good, bad. I'm going to label one of these integrity or honesty, but the scripture talks about these as honest scales, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses that may or may not make a ton of sense to you. Uh, Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. This is Proverbs 16, 11. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Or you have something like Proverbs 20, verse 10. It'll say differing weights and measures. The Lord detests them both. And what you have here is this picture That's given of how people go about doing business. So this would be kind of, um, remember, well, let's say I'm a farmer. Heck, let's say I'm Boaz. We'll use someone from Ruth that we know. And I'm going to come in with my fields all harvested and stacks of barley. I do not know what barley is. Stacks of barley on my little cart. And someone's going to pay me to buy it so that they can sell it, and they're going to buy it by the bushel. You know, the thing you don't hold your light under in the song, the bushel. Yeah, it's a, it's a measurement, it's a basket of weight. Well, let's say someone padded the lining of the basket, or someone made the basket just a tiny bit smaller, or a tiny bit bigger. It depends on how they can make the most profit by, by deceiving you. The illustration that I can't help but think of is ice cream. you ever noticed how the prices of ice cream haven't gone up that much, but the containers have shrunk considerably? Yeah, I used to be able to buy a half gallon, and it was a real half gallon. Now you buy a, I don't know what it is, it's labeled, so it's honest, but it's really tiny, and you spend more. That's the idea, although they're not calling that dishonesty, let's be clear. But if you're going to weight things to your advantage because you're the one controlling the buying or the selling, now let's be honest, there, how do I say this? If you go by conventional wisdom, what Travis talked to us last week about, you can see why fixing things to make sure you get the most productivity out of it could seem kind of wise. We're planning a wedding right now. We Maya is planning a wedding right now. And um, so as we're like looking at invitations and stuff, you can go with a little bit less quality on the paper and it doesn't cost quite as much. I mean, we can make this look really bad or we can understand that there can be some ideas that you could understand why someone would do this, if your priority is wealth. If that's what is going to help you feed your family, if that's what's gonna help you feel steady no matter what's going on in the world, or the economy, or anything else, if that's what's gonna make you feel secure, you can understand why someone would do that. However, if you know that your security comes from somewhere else, and your security comes from honesty and integrity in relationship with your Lord, those things don't look appealing at all. Not at all. You would not do those things. I will never forget one of the stories that happened in our lives. Uh, It was all Jim, and we were kind of newly married, so it was one of those things where it could have gone either way, and I saw the integrity of the man I married in black and white, in an amazing way. We were at seminary. We had been married less than a year. I'm from the era where I didn't get through college with a computer, but a word processor that wasn't going to fly in a master's program. So we needed to go buy a computer. So we go to the store. This dates me. I don't even know what this means, but the newest and latest greatest was the Pentium processor. I have no idea what that means. But it was also way more expensive. And so we're going back and forth and back and forth and talking to the guy and taking a couple of days to make our decision. And we make the decision that we have to go into debt either way, but one is less debt, so let's get the one that's more within our means. So we go back and we buy that one. We get it home and we set it up and, man, this thing is awesome. I was like, we made the best choice. And my husband looks down at the box and he says, they accidentally gave us the Pentium whoa, cool, maybe, not cool. What are we going to do? And I, because, you know, like, who's it going to hurt? I don't know that I would have thought any less of my husband. Notice I'm putting all the weight on his shoulders. I wasn't even thinking, like, what should we do? I'm just watching him. And he just said, no, I, I can't live with that. I, I just can't live with that. Because they might never know, they might never hurt, but I will always know. And so he brought it back. And there was a definite reason the Pentium was more expensive. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. But I knew in that moment, that man that I married cared more about his reputation with God. His security wasn't in whatever our checkbook said. It was in how he walked with God. That was going to be the measure of his decision-making. That's where his security came. Now, Here's the genius of Proverbs. The Proverbs work on a number of levels. If you just take the Proverbs as behavior items, they offer great principles of wisdom. If you're known for integrity, so if you're just doing things the way you're supposed to do them, because Proverbs says to, and it looks like your life will go better. There are even verses that say integrity brings wealth. Oh, good. Well, I'm going to pursue that. If you're known for integrity, it's very likely that your reputation will grow. And your business and your prosperity, this will likely happen. It's, it's the way things work. So on the surface alone, this is great advice. But Proverbs is part of a much, much bigger picture, a deeper picture. Do you remember what Proverbs says right in the beginning? is the beginning of all wisdom, the fear of the Lord. The things written about in Proverbs are tied into a system where we're evaluating things differently. These simple verses have a much deeper truth. If you value wealth... As the center of your security, immediate profit is certainly tempting. It might even be wise in terms of conventional wisdom. However, if it's the relationship with the Lord that's the focus, the pursuit of integrity is so much more desirable. While the proverb is true on both levels, its significance is truest when lived out in view of a relationship with God. I'm going to look at one more example from Proverbs. There are so many examples about money that change in how you understand them if you understand that God's talking about the security that he offers to his righteous, his believers. Uh, Generosity is the other one I picked. I'm just going to read two quick verses that give you an idea of the kinds of verses I was looking at. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Uh, that's Proverbs 19.17, Proverbs 22.9, a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Again, if generosity isn't acted out of pursuit for wealth and security, it can still be a really good practice. Look around at corporate America. They, and this is good, I mean, this is no judgment, they love to advertise when they give back to the community. They develop scholarship funds, and look how many kids we sent off here, and it's a great corporate strategy, so it's good, earthly wisdom. If you're known for generosity, it, it increases your reputation and your appeal. Yet generosity reaches an entirely different level when you give easily because your trust is not in the accumulation of wealth but in your relationship with a generous God. And again, we see a principle that works on both levels. Proverbs is a neat book. You just want to be a good person? Read it and follow it. But that's not why Proverbs was written. Proverbs was written to encourage you in the pursuit of a relationship with a God who offers more than you could ever ever imagined. So much more that he has to use the most amazing things that we can think of so we can even have a reference point to how good he is. Wealth. Security. And these are the things that he's saying like, they're like nothing compared to the level of that you can have when you walk in relationship with God. But remember, they're going to be measured differently. And I already said this, but I want to say it again because I hate when scriptural principles feel cheap and trite. I I remember I was um, we have grief in our own family history. I lost a son a few hours after he was born, and I remember just crying. And a very well-meaning, polite, gracious nurse. Thank goodness I don't know her because I don't like her. (laughs) Walked by and said, oh, don't cry. He's an angel in heaven now. And I was like, I didn't want him in heaven. I wanted him here. (laughs) That is not a, it is a comfort. It's a long range comfort, but it's not a comfort right now. And scriptures is totally aware of that. It is okay not to feel like the security that's being talked about in this book is enough in the present and the here and the now. Like I said, there's a whole book about that. But that doesn't change the truth. And the truth is the security that God offers that's tied to how we go ahead and live out our lives... He cares about every facet of our lives, even our money, even how we share it. Every facet of our lives. He offers something that is so much wealthier than wealth and so much more stable than that which can be lost and so much more powerful than that which can be an answer to a lot of questions. By that, I'm talking about money. It can be, let's be real. But can't answer every question. And that's all that's behind this invitation for to know God in a way that he becomes not only your security, but your greatest passion and pursuit and your greatest sense of safety. I'm going to end just by... Oops, I do that. I'm going to end just by reading this um, verse. And then we're going to be invited to the communion table. Now, let me end by reading the verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The churches I come from, there's like a protocol or something you're supposed to follow when communion starts, like scriptures you're supposed to read in this order, and I always felt like you had to be absolutely trained. And what I've enjoyed learning here at Mosaic is that communion is this invitation to partake w- with each other, community, and in communion with God, where he says, look, look, I'm, I'm better than anything you could ever crave. And I'm the answer when you're craving something and you don't know what because everything's broken. And I invite you to walk with me in that. And I invite you to question me in that too. And so as you come forward, as, we, as the worship team leads us in song and you come forward and take communion, you're participating in this symbolic act by which God reminds us of his, the intensity of his love for us. That he would die for us. And take place of all our debts, all our sins, and restore a relationship to us.